Amen. The message is in that song, isn't it? In Christ alone, I put my faith. And He alone is who I put my faith in for thy salvation. The risen Lord and Savior. That's what we celebrate. That's what the Christian church celebrates. And believe that God's only Son came, lived and died, but rose again from the grave. That is our hope. That is our hope that we too can have eternal life. And it's in Jesus Christ. I know last week... Uh, I've been preaching through Corinthians, and last week I was in chapter 8. And I said last week that I'm going to take a break from Corinthians and preach on something else. Little did I know that the Lord would keep me in Corinthians. But I did jump from chapter 8 all the way to chapter 15. Did you get it wrong? No. Oh, I had it wrong. But chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians again. But I will be reading some from the Gospels also. Uh, I titled this message, This is the Gospel. This is the gospel message. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that He was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all He was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You and praise You for Your presence here today. We thank You that Your Spirit is upon us, within us. And God, I pray that our hearts will be open to receive what You have for us. Father, that we would understand Your gospel, to know what the gospel is. And Lord, I just pray that You would be glorified, that Your Son, Jesus Christ, would be lifted on high. And may our just hearts be soft and receive what you have for us today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The Greek word for gospel, and I'm sure my pronunciation of this will not be correct, but I'm going to give it a try. Ioangelion. And, you know, all the Greek words, when you look them up in the concordance, they have a number that goes along with them. And gospels is 2098. And it means good news. Friends, that's the Greek meaning of gospel, is good news. But 2098 says it is also exactly the same as 2097, which means literally God's good news. That's what the gospel is. It is God's good news for who? For mankind. It is God's good news. So Paul is saying to the Corinthian church here, I declare to you God's good news, that Jesus Christ has died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scripture. So friends, I can stand before you today, those sitting here and those who are going to be watching this message on the web, I can stand before you and declare to you today the same thing that Paul did. The good news, God's good news, is that Jesus Christ suffered and died for our sins in our place, that He was buried, and on the third day He rose again, according to the Scripture. That is the good news. 1 Peter 2, 21-24 says, 
For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us. Let that sink in for a moment. You can't say He just suffered for somebody. He suffered for us, meaning everybody, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who, when He was reviled, did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but committed Himself to Him who judges righteously, who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. What Jesus did for all mankind is called substitutionary atonement. Jesus died in our place when He died upon that cross. Instead of we ourselves having to die for the sins that we have committed, He took our place. He made atonement for our sins, that we can enter into a right relationship with the Father. That's what the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was all about, that we could enter into a right relationship with God the Father. Because that relationship was broken when Adam and Eve sinned. I can remember, I was just thinking back, the very first message that I ever got before a group of people when preached was about relationship. My friends, that's what it's been all about for all these years. It's about relationship and having that relationship mended because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God just as Adam and Eve sinned. And we need that relationship healed that we have with the Father God. That's what it's about, all about. God instituted the substitutionary atonement all the way back in Exodus. I think I was just speaking of Exodus here recently. But you know how the children of Israel went down into Egypt? And they weren't in slavery for the entire 400 years there. But after they were there for a time, a different Pharaoh came into power and they began to put the heavy burdens upon the children of Israel and made slaves of them. They had to make bricks and mortar and build the, all the big fortified cities in Egypt. So they cried out to God to deliver them from the bondage that they were in. And you all, I'm sure, have read the story that God sent Moses. You know, Moses went out into the desert and was caring for his father-in-law's sheep. You know, Moses actually was raised in the palace for 40 years and then he went out into the desert because he killed one of the Egyptians. So he was out there for 40 years and then God sent him back to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. But God told Moses, when you go there, Pharaoh's not going to willingly let my people go. He's going to have to send all kinds of plagues and disastrous things upon them. We know that He, he sent and made the, the river turn to blood. We, he sent the frogs. He sent the a hail down to heaven. Yeah, there were ten plagues. But the last plague was going to be the death of the firstborn males, man and animal. So God told Moses to tell the Israelites, here's what I need you to do. You need to sacrifice a lamb or a goat, and you need to take that blood of that substitutionary sacrifice and apply it to the doorposts and the lintels of the house where you live. So whenever the death destroyer comes, it will have no power over that household. So they passed over, the death destroyer passed over every house that had the blood applied 
to the doorposts and the lintels. He says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Without blemish. Keep that in mind. He said in verse 12 of chapter 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The entire historical event surrounding God's deliverance of the nation of Israel from bondage is a type and foreshadow of what God intended to do to deliver mankind from the bondage of sin. Friends, we are in the bondage of sin until we believe in Jesus Christ and allow His blood to cover our sins. God's judgment of death upon Egypt, the firstborn male. But God miraculously spared all the firstborn Israelites in every house where the blood was applied. In John 1, verse 29, and John the Baptist speaking, it's on the next day, John says, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. What did the Israelites sacrifice? A lamb. And John calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate sacrificial lamb. The only one who could take away the sins of the entire world once and for all. God the Father made the way to redeem us from our sins. And that way is Jesus Christ. God paid the price. I found a little story that was shared by a man named Kenneth Omer. And Kenneth shares the story how when he was a little boy, he and his mother would go to Marjulie's, the little grocery store two or three blocks from their house. And they would get the things that they would need and his mom would tell Mr. Marjulie to put that on their bill. Now, for those young people that may not remember that, and I, I remember those days, you think back, you know, today we got our big super Walmarts and our giant grocery stores, but there was a day there was all kinds of little mom pa grocery stores in our neighborhoods. And back then, they would have a book and they would keep track of the things you bought in the total and you could just go buy. You know, they had credit cards sometimes back then, but even before credit cards, well, you could just put it on credit and then go back in later and pay. So let me get back to this. So he said, once in a while, Mama would send me to Marjulie's for something that we needed and just tell Mr. Marjulie to put it on the bill. He said, now I never paid the bill. Not once. Not once did I pay the bill. I just kept charging stuff. But he says, as I got older, I realized that Daddy had paid the bill. By the time I got ready to go and pick up the next purchase, Daddy had already paid for everything that I had already purchased. The book was clean. Because Daddy paid for it. God said, Blessed is he who went down to Mr. Marjulie's store. Because when he got there, his books was clean. Because Daddy had already paid the bill. He didn't have to pay his account. It had already been paid. 
God said when you come before Him, when you sincerely repent, the record of that sin is paid in full. There is no record of your past bill. My friends, it's not Mr. Marjulis that we go down to. But it's whenever we come before the Father, He already paid the bill. He paid our sin debt by the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. He took care of it. As we read our Bibles, we can see God's redemptive plan woven throughout the Scriptures. We have the account of the children of Israel from slavery that I just talked about. There's another account with the Israelites. When they're out wandering in the desert, there was an occasion, well, many occasions, but one particular occasion when they turned from God and they was being disobedient, that God sent serpents among them. And they started biting and some of them were dying. So they cried out, Moses, we have sinned against God. Forgive us. What, what can we do? Cry out to God for us. So God instructed Moses to take and get a pole and wrap a serpent on it and hold it up. And anybody that looked to that and believed that they could be healed was healed. And the serpents had no power over them. So if they looked in faith, when we look to the cross in faith and believe, we can be healed of our sins. In Job chapter 19, verses 25 and 26, Job says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. My friends, all who receive Jesus Christ can say that. That there will be a day that in my flesh I will see God. Receive that today. In Psalms 22, 7 and 8, says, All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let Him rescue Him. Let Him deliver Him since He delights in Him. The fulfillment of this is in Mark chapter 15. With Him they also crucified two robbers, one on His right and the other on His left. So the Scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by him blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priest also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Friends, they would not have believed if He would have come down off that cross that day because their hearts were hardened. But all who do believe can be saved. His burial is prophesied in Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 8 and 9. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who would declare His generation? For He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of My people He was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. My friends, it is good news that Christ died for us. You know, in our lives we will often hear things and say, well, that's good news. We'll hear of things that happen. So we'll say or hear that phrase many times in our life. You know, a child is born and we say, well, how's mom and how's the baby? Well, the mom and the baby's doing fine. We'll say, that's good news. Good news that they're doing well. 
A family member who's been healed of cancer will say, wow, that's, that's definitely good news, isn't it? We know that. We've experienced that. That is really good news when a family member is healed. Surgery went well. That's good news. A wife or her husband just landed that new job that they've been seeking. Good news, right? That child has finally got a job and moved out of the house. That's good news because they're 42 years old. That's really good news. You recently bought that house you've been trying to buy. That's good news for you and your family. That kid finally graduated from high school or college. Good news. So many things that we can say. That is good news about. Men returning to work after being furloughed for a year. Good news. I've been enjoying some good news recently. I could go on all day. All these things are really good news. Or great news. My friends, but if the whole world could comprehend the significance of the work of Jesus Christ upon that cross, His life, His death, His burial, and His resurrection, they would realize that that is the ultimate good news. God's good news for mankind. Nothing compares to this good news that Christ is alive and is at the right hand. So I will read from the Gospel. John chapter 19. And after this... Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was a preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. Let that sink in for a minute. That Sabbath was a high day. I'm not going to go there because Karen's going to be talking about this tomorrow. There was more than one day referred to as a Sabbath, and they don't typically refer to the weekly Sabbath as a high Sabbath or a high day. So Karen will clear that up tomorrow morning. There's more than one Sabbath sometimes. The Jews also... As, or the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then of the other who were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. My friends, that's to fulfill Scripture. It says that his bones will not be broken. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who had seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these things were done that the Scripture would be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another Scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission so he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. 
So there they laid Jesus because of the Jewish preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. You might wonder, how did Jesus die so quickly and the others had not died? Or the others, right, had not died, they had to break their bones. And you, you think about crucifixion and you think about the, the horrors and the pain being hung there by your hands and your feet, or actually it's through your wrist, and that crown of thorns pressed into his head and so bleeding from his head and bleeding from the, the beating that he endured, bleeding from his hands and his feet. But I want you just to someday hold your hands out there and see if you can hold them out there for about a half an hour and see how that goes for you. Imagine hanging on that cross for hours and suffocating. But friends, but here's my belief. The weight of the sins of the world was upon Him. The weight of the sins of the entire world, past, present, and future, was upon Jesus Christ. He suffered for all, all mankind. And He said, it is finished. It is finished. God's redemption plan is complete. The moment Jesus is about to breathe His last, He said, it is finished. God's plan has come to fruition. The word finished in the Greek means complete. or the, yeah. yeah, finished means complete or accomplished. God's work of redemption is done that day upon the cross. No more work to be done for it because Christ has done it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, He made Him who knew, so, knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He came to pay the penalty of our sins. And you know, until a person comes to the grips or comes to grips with the fact that they are a sinner and sin separates from God. As I said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But until one comes to grips with that fact, and realizes that they fall short of God's righteousness, and that separates them from God, they are under condemnation. And, but they need to come to the grips to know that they can call on Jesus Christ. This is going to be kind of a strange illustration for you, but I share what the Lord gives me. You know, it, it, so there's one here today that's going to understand this. At the railroad, there's many different safety sayings or slogans or things that they come up with. And one of them is, focus on the big four. The big four. Now, you're all wondering, what's he talking about? Dennis knows. The big four has to do with not derailing locomotives. So a locomotive, my friends, weighs about 200,000 pounds. A lot of weight. And you know a locomotive rides on rails. You do know that, right? Locomotives ride on rails, right? <gasps> Shocker! So they have these big giant wheels, but these wheels are only about that wide. And they ride on rails about that wide at the top and about that wide at the bottom. Seven and a half inches tall. And the gauge of the rail was 56 and a half inches long. See, that's some knowledge that you, you, know, you don't really need to know, but I'm telling you. So these locomotives must ride on that rail. That's how they move. A locomotive... The average locomotive is probably 4,000 to 5,000 horsepower. And normally you'll have two to three locomotives. So you're looking at 10 to 15,000 horsepower to pull hundreds and hundreds of cars. But they have to remain on that rail. Because if they come off of that rail, that 5,000 power 
horsepower engine can do nothing. It cannot do that which it has been meant to do. It's stranded. It can do nothing at all. It has no power whatsoever if you take it off of that rail and put it on the ground. So the big four is for the men that move these locomotives around, all around, whether it's out in the yards or in the shops. This big four is for them to commit to these rules, to be dedicated to these rules, to help keep those locomotives on the rail. And the big four is leave nothing in the file. So what that means, if you're going to park equipment, you know how tracks, you've got switches and you go all over the place, you cannot leave a locomotive set back where another one's going to come down and hit it because if it does, it's going to hit it, it's going to derail, right? Again, it's to keep them on the rail. The other one is secure all equipment. Now, I have seen occasions where they have not secured equipment. We have what you call a turntable, and it's a big pit, and this thing goes around, and you've got all these different tracks that go into the roundhouse and the other shop. I have seen them park locomotives and not tie the handbrakes down, and they'll drift off into the pit. So you've got a 200,000-pound locomotive hanging out over the wall, over the turntable. The other is check all your switches and derails. So a derail is a device about this big and about like that, and you flip it over onto the rail, and that is to protect the men working in the shops from someone coming in and hitting the engine they're working on, and also to keep them from running into the big pit. So you have to check these things. Why? To keep them on the rail so they can do what they're intended to do. And you protect the shove. So that's the four. That's the fourth one. Protect the shove. That means be on the end where you're moving so you can see the derails and the switches, right? So that's the big four in the locomotive industry. So we have to be committed to the big four in our Christian faith. But don't think about rails and locomotives. We must be absolutely committed to and dedicated to the big four. And it's this. First of all, the life of Jesus Christ. We must believe. We must be committed to the fact that He was born of the Virgin Mary. That He did have life. That God became flesh and dwelt among us. So we must believe in His life. Amen? Nod your head if you believe that. Secondly, we must believe in His death. We must believe that Jesus Christ did die on that cross in our place for our sins. We must believe that. Without that, there is no remission of sins. That's good. Sharon's nodding her head. I believe that. There is no remission of sins. If there is not the sacrifice of blood, Christ did that for us. We must believe in the burial of Christ, that they placed Him in that tomb, and that He was there for three days and three nights, as He said. He died for us. No, he wasn't in a coma, and He didn't just happen to wake up. He was dead. The soldiers verified it. Put the spear into His side. He was completely dead without life. So they buried Him in that tomb. Fourthly, come on, what is it? The resurrection. Hallelujah. We must believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation that the church is built upon. We as believers in Christ must be as committed to that as that man out there moving locomotives to keep him on the rail. But to have salvation, to be redeemed to God the Father, we must believe in the big four. Life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That He actually walked this earth, died in our place, buried and rose again on the third day. And my friends, because He has life, we too can have life. 
That's the only way that we can have eternal life is by believing those facts about Jesus Christ. Our faith in Him. We must repent of our sins, ask Him to come into our lives, to be the Lord of our lives, that we can be reconciled to the Father. And when Christ returns, those that have passed will be resurrected to be with Him for eternity. And those who are alive will be changed to spend eternity with Him. My friends, that is God's good news for all mankind. And let's be faithful to share that good news. John 3, 16-18. No better scripture that we can close with. You may not have 17 and 18 memorized, but if you memorize 16, say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. Friends, that's again the good news. He who believes in Jesus Christ is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's about as clear and truthful as it can get. It's not God's plan, or it's not God's desire, I mean to say, to condemn anyone. If anyone is condemned, it's because they refuse to believe in His only Son. It's God's desire that all men would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and believe those four facts. The big four. You'll have a new thought about that big four, won't you? <laughs> Life, death, burial, and resurrection. That's what Easter's all about. But my friends, it's not just for Easter Day. That's for any day and every day because today is the day of salvation. And you know, there's no better way, I think, to close the service about the resurrection and how we can have life, then let's have a prayer. And I'll just ask everyone to close your eyes. And I know that probably everyone here has placed their faith and their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there may be some out there watching today that have never personally accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts. There may be someone that watched a recorded video maybe months from now. So let's pray the sinner's prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for Your redemptive work upon the earth. Father, we thank You that You demonstrated Your love towards us and that You did allow Your Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to become flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. We thank You that He lived the perfect life, but He was slain on our behalf. Father, we thank You that all who believe in Your Son can find remission of their sins can be cleansed, their sins washed whiter than snow. Father, we thank You for Your Spirit that You sent into this world to teach us, to guide us, but also to draw men to You. Father, we know that we must confess our sins, so guide us now as as we pray. Father, I know that I am a sinner, and Lord, I pray that You would forgive me of my sins. Father, I pray that You would allow the blood that Jesus shed on that cross upon Golgotha to cleanse and wash away all of my unrighteousness, all the sins that I have committed in the past. And Father, I pray that You would allow Your Spirit to come into my life 
to guide me, to help me to live a life of righteousness, a life that will glorify and magnify you. And Father, I pray that Jesus would be the Lord of my life, that He would be my master, that I would follow, follow His ways by the power of Your Spirit. Father, again, we, just, we thank You for the good news, and we just thank You for the eternal life that is promised to all who believe. And Lord, again, we just pray that You would help us to share this good news, the gospel, with all, all who do not know You. And Lord, that they too may come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen.